Welcome, everybody, to Behind the Blade Podcast. This is Jim Stewart channeling his inner Matt Martin and also here for Matt Martin. Episode 30! <laughs> We're here on our second anniversary of our 10th episode. <laughs> Free guys. <laughs> here with you guys. Expressing our delight of knives, and we're here with a great show for you gentlemen today on... And ladies! And ladies, my bad. I'm sorry, of course. Today we're talking about Openel history, a beautiful, beautiful history segment. We're talking about amazing knife news that you guys would really love. And then finally, leaving everything off, what, you're you're, you're in in the middle of the mic, what? Well, I had it until you put me on the spot. I was just going (laughs) to ask one simple question. Okay. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> you guys will get that a little bit later. And and finally, we're finishing everything off with your Q&As. We will see you guys in about five seconds. This is Matt Martin with Behind the Blade Podcast, inviting you to go check out our friends at KME Sharpeners. That's KMESharp.com. And I can tell you without a doubt, the thing that sets them apart, other than having a superior product that's completely made in the United States with completely United States source components, is their customer service. Customer service is absolutely off the chart. So not only the innovating, coming up with specialized tools, specialized sharpening systems and fixtures, but they are, if you call up KME Sharpeners, you can ask for Ron, the owner, and he will walk you through exactly whatever question you're trying to get over. In fact, I've even had Ron, I called him up and said, hey, I'm having a hard time sharpening this Boker Quaken. And I was like, I just can't seem to get it. He goes, Matt, send it to me. I'll sharpen it for you. And so I didn't make him do it. I was able to figure it out on my own with his advice. But that is the level of customer service that they're willing to offer to their customers. So, I mean, they're not a sharpening service. I don't want to give the wrong impression. But the fact of the matter is, is they will do whatever it takes to make sure that you get the best experience out of a KME sharpening product. So I invite you to go check them out, kmesharp.com. And please be sure to let them know Behind the Blade sent you. Today on Knife News, brought to you by Knife News, me and Mr. Mad Martin sitting here Yo. for Knife News. Mr. Mad Martin, how are you doing today? I am hot, Jim. I am <laughs> roasting. It's been in the 90s in the UP. Luckily, it cools down. It didn't last night, so I didn't sleep for anything. Uh, this week, we just had one of my close personal friends and very, very talented maker from Down Under, Mr. Robert <laughs> Herbert, Herbert himself from R&M Blades. Australia. So he came up yeah. on kind of this pilgrimage, which we're hoping that we can get him nailed down for an interview. Cause I mean, he's seeing like Jake Hoback, he's seeing mm-hmm. Ken Onion, you know, he added to those ranks, of course, is me. Oh, right. Cause I rank up with that. <laughs> uh, I was actually really honored that he made the time to come stop by me while going and seeing real knife makers. So it was pretty he, cool. He, he was a super cool guy. I really liked, I, I didn't get a chance to really talk to him as much as I really wanted to, because I had a million things going on at that time too. Even like when you guys stop at the shop. Yeah. You, you're, I'm like, I mean, he's, he's like, Oh, I'm Robert. I'm like, Hey Robert, nice to meet you. I got to go out in the yeah. line. Bye. Uh, Back to business, yeah. (laughs) But no, we had a a great time this morning. I had to drive him to Green Bay. 
uh, so he could catch his flight to Minneapolis to go see yet another maker still. So uh, other than that, we had a great 4th of July. You guys had a good 4th? We did. We did. I got, I got yelled at by a, a fat ginger with an afro. <laughs> That's <laughs> you're probably the only guy that can claim that today. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was a very anti-patriotic guy, yeah. but but uh, we gave him the business and he walked on. Yeah, there you go. Well, good for you, man, for Thanks. holding your ground, <laughs> teaching those red coats a lesson. But, uh, yeah. No, so yeah, we're glad to be back. Um, we have here's a little bit of behind the blade podcast news. I guess mm-hmm. we have recorded our video. And in only the fashion that we can do, we overcomplicated the post-production oh, of oh, it. Oh, Matt and I are like world-class champions at overcomplicating <laughs> crap. <laughs> we're, we're the people that will make a watch that does everything but tell time. Right. So there right. is going to be a little bit more post-production to go. We have come up with what we think is a winning formula, uh, and you guys will be seeing that soon. So now that that's out of the way, Mr. Stewart, what you carrying today? Ooh. So I've got my normal. I've got my normal go-to's today. Wait, got, wait, don't tell me. Don't okay. tell me. All right, go. Wait, wait. Do you Bark get it? River Knives Ultralight Bushcrafter. What? How in green you, canvas micarta. Do, how did you know these things? Is it three V? It is three V. Oh my god! Whoa! Yeah. No, so normal stuff. I actually, um, I actually just got back to it. Oh really? Because I've, I've been carrying a uh, a Phobos Tier One. Oh nice. And I've been carrying the Danto TDC. Nice. And and I've been carrying my new Spyderco Paramilitary Two in M4. What a what you know, a man! Kind of man's got good forth, taste, right? Between yeah. those things, uh, yeah, that, that paramilitary too, man. I absolutely love that knife. I loved it since um, I got it. My first one as a gift from from our uh, muscles from Brussels, the muscles from Brussels, yeah, <laughs> Mister Mister Belgian Van Hoots in Belgian Van Hoots. No, name I think now. you should do that. Yeah, <laughs> Michiel Michiel Van Hoots, and um, and uh, I had to pick up another one because it was in CPM M4, as we as as you guys should know, and as we do know. Uh, Spiderco's heat treat is excellent. Yes. And so if we at Bark River, at, maybe it's just me at Bark River, <laughs> want to try out a new steel or heat treat, we go right to Spiderco because we, if we want to put a convex on something, we know that their heat treat's going to be comparable to ours. And, and we, uh, we, we, we see how it performs at that point. And I got to say that their heat treat on M4 has been spectacular at, uh, Reed sign in post. Oh, at, there you uh, go. Nice. Trading post. I carved my name with using that thin little tip. Yeah. On, and I, and think about like, the, to, t- to carve in for a good time call, you're I really I putting some use in on that tip because that's a long <laughs> little phrase, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I didn't carve that this time, Matt. <laughs> but, but no, no, it's, it's, uh, it's really good. Yeah, no, it's still, still razor sharp. It was still hold up nice and strong. So I was, I was really impressed with that. But um, I got to go back to my, my normal mainstay, just a normal ultralight bushcrafter that's been sharpened a ton in very aged and beautiful green canvas micarta with a nice, cool, little quick-grab lanyard love it. on the back end. I love it. And also, on top of that, I think I just dinged my knife I was just, chair. do not stab yep. yourself. Yep. Yeah. Nope. That were, I don't want to interrupt the podcast. Jim just slashed his spare tire. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to get rid of it anyway, okay? And I just doing the doctor's favor. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, I'm fat there. Leave me alone. <laughs> Oh, it's good to be back, man. I tell you what, yeah. I needed some levity in my life today. <laughs> Everybody was hot and cranky in the shop, and yeah. it, it became kind of this snowball effect. 
Uh, it just compounds. I yeah, get it. It just, it's, it's yeah. like a misery pearl. Right. Like a grain of sand gets in your shell, and yeah. we just secrete all this malevolence around it until we have this <laughs> giant black pearl at the end of the day. And the only way to wash it away in the tide is to do a podcast. So thank you guys for indulging me and letting me talk to you through your computer speakers because I really needed this. Absolutely. There, uh, yeah. So, so on top of that, I've got my uh, Swiss tool that nobody likes. Yeah, right, the mirror, the mirror ball. Right, that's a nice tool. Like, yeah, I, I actually actually really like it. I don't think it, you know nobody likes it. It's just they came up with a different one later that people bought more. Yeah. So you know, there's that. But I did give myself one hell of a blood blister with my with my Swiss tool. I was I was grabbing an eighth inch pin. And and I was and I was reefing against it uh, for because I was custom fitting a, a neon. Oh, okay. Facility, and I was pulling the pin out, and it slipped off, and I pinched my finger at the very nape, oh. uh, the very the very joining of, and of where clamped. the pliers go there. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like really reefing on it to try to pull it apart, and it gave me like the biggest blood blister I've ever had in my life, which you know probably compared to what you've had probably isn't anything, but it was but it was like these things on my palm right here. Oh yeah. It's about, it's about the half the size of a dime in two different sections where they were very neatly. And very neatly pinched For together. those of you guys that don't know Jim personally in the flesh, he's got uh, enough forearm strength that he could probably take a charcoal briquette and squeeze it into a diamond. So, yeah, yeah if he says, I was squeezing pretty hard, yeah, I bet you were, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's probably, that's probably, yeah. Okay, I'm not going to pat myself on the back too much, but yes. And, you hurt yourself. <laughs> but yes, I hurt myself. Um, so, yeah, there was that. Um, but, you know, the tool is fine. I have no problems there. And I'm also carrying... An open L. Oh, so this this might be a little foreshadowing to our history segment today. So we are stay Edgar tuned. Allan Poe's The Knife World with our foreshadowing. <laughs> Jim and I are both carrying matching open L's. Courtesy, oh, yeah. actually, we picked these up from DLTTrading.com. Thank you, Mr. Jason Toon. Yeah, we gave them a buzz and we were like, hey, are you guys open L dealers? And we got ourselves a couple. So I've wanted one of these knives. I don't think. Uh, any collection would be complete without it. But yeah. we'll cover all that in the history segment. These are what are what models are these, Jim? They are number they're they're either probably on the product box. Number eights. Number eights. Number eights. Okay. Does it say that on here? Am yeah, I just it missing does. it? On the oh it does, it does. On the on the, collar, on the, yeah. on the, on the bolster. Yeah, yep. number eight. Yep. yep. Number eights. This is an awesome size. I think it's ideal. Yep. I th- it's I th- about a three and a half inch blade, plus or minus. Yeah, plus or minus. Actually, actually, compared to the let me pair compared to the Actually, it's the same blade length as my ULB. Oh, look at look that. Look at that. Yeah. It's the same blade. Actually, a similar cutting curve, too. Believe it or not. So, that, so that's cool. Yeah, so this is this is like the optimal size of a knife that I'd like to use. I mean, like, it's not something that I would, like, bury into a log trying to split it. But for anything else. I, you know what? You know, I'm going to stand by this uh, yeah. for the weight. And this we're not going to touch on the history because we're saving that for the next segment. Correct. But for what we're carrying pure today. utility. Uh, for the weight. For the blade thickness, sharpness, and the utilitarian function of this knife, I have made this my official camp kitchen knife. Oh, yeah. I definitely. like the fact that it folds, which means it's not going to poke holes in either a nylon or canvas backpack. It folds up. These ones in particular came with little leather pouches, which I think is really cool. With a little dangler on it. A little yeah, carabiner. a little carabiner. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty sweet. And even if it didn't have that, I'd be totally comfortable throwing this in. I, I use like a three external pouch backpack, whether it's an Alice or uh, any number of other packs that I have. They have those three main compartments on the outside, the smaller ones. One of those is my camp kitchen. And I hate throwing um, even the like U.S. surplus butter knife looking things. Sure, yeah. <laughs> because it abrades yeah. the material and will eventually blow through. And then you have to, you know, sheath it. And most knives, field knives, are terrible at cutting vegetables in camp. Right. 
because they have a little bit more axe-like geometry as opposed to like filleted something, something geometry. Slicey, yeah. yeah. So this is just a born slicer. I mean, it comes down to nothing. And after running just some quick preliminary tests with some veggies and food and stuff in the kitchen, just like on my plate and on the chopping block, I said, no, this is perfect. Yeah. I mean, you can cut, you know, uh, hash thin potatoes around camp. Oh, oh, you know what I mean? Thin. I imagine oh, you can go paper thin. Probably read through like them. This. You know? it's, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, that flat grind, that flat grind comes down to nothing. Like it's, it's almost like a complete zero. I think it's got a little micro convex bevel at the very, very, very edge. Yeah, but that's but, like, that's supremely tiny. I mean, I'd say that rivals that rivals the, the, the bevel that's left after we grind our knives at the shop. Right. You yeah, know, it's but, like but a strop is, finish, you yeah, know? Yeah, this is, this is definitely a strop finish, 100%. It's so, totally cool. But what a great little camp kitchen utility knife and a little carver if you wanted to use it for that. They're super mm-hmm. customizable. Um, being that I make custom knives for a living... I am also a knife collector, so I don't feel the need to jump in and mutilate this open L just because I have to craft <laughs> something custom. I do that for hours and hours and hours every day. Right. So I'm okay just leaving an original and kind of having that nostalgic look to it. No, so yeah, yeah I, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm really excited about it it's going on some upcoming camping trips as we have this uh, summer planned mm-hmm. and we'll be able to give like a full review on it. But in the meantime, this little mother sits in my EDC pack every day. This is, yeah, this is totally cool. I mean, and I am really, really enjoying it. I even like the sheath. I mean, like the sheath design nice is leather, super classic. Yeah. It is, it is. I mean, especially for the price point. I mean, it's like I got like a nice, like a finished side and then it's got like a nice smooth suede side. I think these were like 35 yeah. bucks. Yeah, and they were 35 yeah. bucks. Yeah, with the I mean, sheath and everything. You I mean, know? like, so. A, so so if you're definitely a, like a knife collector or even a user, this would be a great knife for like a kid. Yep. You know, like a kid's first knife. Very or kid, safe. Kid's first folder knife. Yes. You know, because I, I, I honestly believe that a kid's first knife should be a fixed blade. Yeah, I agree you know, with that. Yeah, you know, one hundred percent. But if you're if you're if you're set on buying them a folder, there this is this is one of the two knives that I would consider buying. An open and they come the, in a lot of sizes. Yeah, and colors and, and yeah. variety and uh, and you could really you, you could buy a pink one, you could buy a green one, you could buy a camel one. I mean, I might be exaggerating on the camel one, but I have seen the other colors for sure. I did see so. some guys. I'm going to eat my words. I did see <laughs> one cat who uh, he takes stag. Yeah. And then sets the ferrule on the stag. Oh, really? And so it's an open L with a stag handle. And I was like, okay, that's sweet. Like, that's That's cool. super sweet. Now, that's pretty un- cool. unfortunately, as cool as it is, it takes away from the primary benefit, which I am a little bit weight conscious these days. Oh, yeah. Bone um, is way more dense than wood. Yeah. It's, Absolutely, yeah, this yeah. beech wood or whatever. Yeah. This thing is like a pocket of air in your pack. You yeah. know what I mean? It just serves a lot of functions. Weighs so, nothing. Yeah. Weight to usefulness ratio is way up there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I sound like nothing fancy now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Let him have me. his market, Matt. Yeah, save me now. <laughs> All right, so what do we have in knife news, my good friend? We have a, if you let me click it, um, man survives four days lost in the mountains with Buck 110. Now, this is awesome. I love this kind yeah. of stuff. Like, this is what, as <laughs> anybody who's ever owned a knife or purchased a knife, especially like the, the Rambo mentality, I like to call it, like, this is the thing. This is like a tale of triumph. Against the odds with a primitive tool, right? You know what right. I mean? This is amazing. So Absolutely. What, what do we got? All right. So so you're really going to like this. It's almost like he was listening to the podcast, you know, before he outfitted himself to go out. He was carrying a Buck 110 and a Victorinox Tinker. Yes. My <laughs> man. Some knife users carry a blade to prepare for dangerous situations. Luckily, most of us don't have to encounter it. But Ron Hunter wasn't so lucky. 
and spent three cold November nights lost in the mountains above the Sonoran Desert near Tucson, Arizona. You're from Arizona. You know I'm from that. Tucson. I'm, I'm actually yeah. Sonoran. Yeah. Oh, there so, you go. Yeah, yeah so, northern Sonoran. Yeah, all Hutter had with him was a half liter of water, a few odds and ends, and both knives we already talked about. Yes. And the buck knife in particular played a major role in keeping Hutter alive in the wilds. He fought off crackheads. <laughs> I don't have anything. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, it started as a brief jaunt through the green upper, the upper green mountain trail. You ever been on that upper green mountain trail? A good possibility, but not, uh, not familiar enough to be able to say that you, I have. You sure. likely did at one point. Yeah, right. Just, right. There's, just, there's just a ton of them. Um, Hunter stepped off the path for a moment and then couldn't find it again. Figuring he was just above the meandering mountain highway, he started heading straight down. In fact, he was marching deeper into the wilderness. Soon he was truly lost. Quote, I was prepared for a 15-minute excursion, says Hutter. It was about two hours in before I realized I was in big trouble. A (laughs) three-hour tour. (laughs) A three-hour tour. Despite the life or death stakes, Hutter didn't panic. Good for you. Yeah. Good for you, man. Because because that's uh, every survival course I've ever taken. It's always been, hey, don't panic. Use your brain. Good for you, man. I remember from our survival book about the importance of keeping a positive mental attitude. He made a campfire to stave off hypothermia and turned his attention to less predictable danger, wild animals. Oh, that should be interesting. Yeah. Hutter knew that bears moved through the area. The Buck 110 is no small knife, but he figured it wouldn't do much more than upset an attacking bear. So after selecting the hardest, straightest bow he could find, he fashioned, fashioned himself a spear. Yes, bear-killing spear. <laughs> oh, oh this, I think this guy's my spirit animal. Yeah. This guy's awesome. Something he could use to keep some distance between him and the animal. Using his buck 110, he deftly trimmed off the twigs and rough bark and whittled one end down to a sharp tip. That'll do it. Do what you gotta do, right? Yeah. Especially for something like that, like a, like a, like a tapered tip on something like that, you get some penetration. Oh, I mean, you know? it works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. So for food, Hutter harvested prickly pear cactus pads. I've never had those. Are those good? Don't believe those. Yeah, yeah, yeah you cook right them up. They're pretty good. Right yep. on. Cool. Um, which you cut down and scraped clean of their spines. Once again, with the 110, cut into strips, they were just barely edible. They taste kind of like fried green tomatoes, depending on how you cook them. Gotcha. You know what gotcha. I mean? So cool. They kind of have that flavor. Little little off topic, but uh, there was a Texas Shiner beer that was like prickly pear beer. That oh, really okay. Good. It was really good. Yeah, tangential. Anyway, box that up, put that on the shelf. Um, by the third night, Hutter's fire had burned through everything he could find to feed it, and his body had done the same. He was so dehydrated, he had to remove his contacts. Ooh. That's could, pretty dry. He could no <laughs> longer make the tears they needed in order to cling to his eyes. Oh. And he stuck through it anyway, right? He, My eyes feel like raisins. <laughs> <laughs> that's because they're starting to become raisins. Yeah, that's bad. Day. Right? He, he, sleeping little, if at all, which I imagine is pretty normal in that situation. Especially if the yep. first thing you think to do is to make a bear stick. You're going to have a hard time sleeping. Good on him. I'm not right. judging in any oh, way, yeah, but no, if I, that's what's in the yeah. front of your mind, he's like, oh, screw the food and water. We need a bear repellent right, now. Right, uh, right. I need to not be mauled by a bear yeah, to eat food and water. Hard to so, sleep in that you know? <laughs> mindset. <laughs> right. And while trying to light a larger signal fire, he had lost his lighter. Oh, man. Ooh. Despite all this or because of it, Hutter's spirit refused to suffer. He felt grateful to, to have been prepared with tools that allowed him to make fire, protect himself, and gather food. Grateful to have survived thus far. And he felt grateful in a strange way to be able to place his mortality so nakedly, tired under the sun, instead of sedated under fluorescent hospital lights. Kind of convoluted writing there, but I'll let it, I'll let it slide what, this time. Y- yep. <laughs> <laughs> able to face his mortality so nakedly, tired under the sun, instead of sedated under fluorescent hospital lights. I guess he's just, they're just trying to draw a parallel that, that he was, you know, tired under the sun, but, you know, he wasn't so bad that he had to be hospitalized. Or, maybe, or just... maybe in this case, 
the desert was tantamount to being in the hospital, only the futility was... We're doing like a reading interpretation class, a reading comprehension class here. I, uh, I did fairly well in that class, but I got nothing on this one. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I think that's what they're... I think they're like... Well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's just my comprehension. Right. I mean, I took reading comprehension 101 like six <laughs> times. I think I'd be pretty good at it by now. At least that one curriculum. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> if this was going to be my last day alive, he remembers thinking at least I was in an environment that I loved. On the morning of the fourth day, Hutter abandoned the relative comfort of his makeshift camp and started hiking again. Headed southwest up the canyon, it was slow going, and he didn't think he'd make it through another freezing night. By 5.30, Hutter had been hiking for nearly 10 hours when he spotted a well-worn trail cutting through a clearing. Within minutes, he was back at the highway, sipping water given to him by a good Samaritan passing by. Nice. So, good for him. There he is. There he is, Hutter with a knife to help save his life. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Actually, he looks like a really old Willem Dafoe. He does a little with a beard. Right, with a yeah, beard. Yeah, yeah Willem Dafoe had Willem a beard. Willem Dafoe, yeah. yeah. Right? Hutter plans to write a book about his experience to help other adventurers avoid similar trials. My number one mistake was hiking alone without letting anyone know without letting anyone else know my plans. He reflects. But this ordeal hasn't kept him off the trails. Whenever he hikes, he carries the same gear that helped him save his life. Buck 110 and Swiss Army Knife. That's it. Victorinox Tinker. Yeah, I've got one in my pack right now. That's, That's always in my pack. Oh, those are... I got the mm-hmm. uh, Swiss Bianco G10 scales for my Tinker. Oh, cool. And they're yeah. olive drab, and I put them on there with a blaze orange lanyard, and it's like... It's a neat little knife. Yeah, that, that's awesome. That's, that's sexing it up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, the last quote, I sometimes take an extra lighter now, he laughs, admittedly. But probably not a bad idea. That, right, right. Yeah, that, I, that's, that's always in the, in the pack. I don't know if we thing. covered this in any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a... Uh, compartmentalized camper so in my in my pack mm-hmm. i have like a toiletries bag right i have like a kitchen bag and just a little nylon stuff sacks right right and then i have like one for socks and stuff like that so different sizes and colors so i can reach in i have like steaks oh and, yeah and cool. cordage in one like a rigging bag or whatever and in just about every one of those i throw a big lighter Oh yeah, and definitely. So I can yeah. at any moment and under any amount of duress, I can grab one bag and have a bic lighter. So in my pack, I'll usually have like three or four bic lighters across various kits. Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe not in my pack, but either on my person in my pack, I usually have about four bic lighters. Yeah, it's it's, and it's a just, ferro rod. You know, it's just smart. I mean, they yeah. they they work. I mean, if you keep it close on your body, it works in any temperature. Yep. You know, and and it's just instant fire right now. I, I prefer, prefer dollar, matches, you know? although like oh, I, you prefer I, the matches. Honestly, yeah. I do this big storm proof matches. So. Like the order of, of things, like I start, you know, even Jenna and Dion, we all start most of our fires with um, ferro rods. Sure. Just yeah. for fun. Yeah. Every once in a while, we'll do the flint and steel again, yeah. just for fun. Actually, I'm the same way. So yeah, I, I get it. And yeah. you're like, hey, I want to see if I can do this. And right. so we always pretty, I would say virtually always do it that way. Um, but if it came down to like, a, everyone likes the term survival situation, like, holy cow, I'm cold and wet. Mm-hmm. Then I move to storm matches. Right. And storm matches allow you to hold a flame whereas you have to invert a lighter and it starts burning your thumb right. when you're holding yeah, it down. Yeah, Otherwise, okay, you light it. your tinder bundle up in the air and then take it down yep. or whatever. Uh, but there's a lot of circumstances where a, a Bic lighter is always good enough mm-hmm. unless it's wet, right? Right. But right. stormproof matches always excel, but they're limited in number. Sure. So, you know, you don't want to use them all up. If there's a situation where you can use your Bic, use your Bic. Otherwise, you know, you, if you're really against it, then jump to the Stormproofs. Because they get like, I think, 60 second burn time or something. Oh, that, Maybe that's, 20 that's, second. That, it's a long time. Right. Though. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's your typical fire steel, cotton ball soaked in Vaseline time. Yes. Yeah. It's about, it's about, and that's about a minute, minute and a half if you stretch it. Right. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, so that's, that's comparable. That, that works. Yeah, exactly. So tinder notwithstanding. So let's yeah. say you've already exhausted your tinder or it's wet and you can't locally source any tinder 
You right. know what I mean? Which you always can. Old man's beard sucks, by the way. I've always oh, had terrible I've, luck. I've, with I've it. never, I've never used it. I've actually had better luck using like the inside of bark scrapings. Yeah, yeah, of course. Tinder. Yeah, yeah. You know, just versus and then old feather man's sticking, beard. obviously. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. The reason people do it so much to bring it back into the knife realm instead of just survival realm. Um, the reason people feather stick so much is because number one, it's a little bit artistic, right? Yep. Oh, when absolutely. you do it, it yeah. it's very attractive and appealing <clears throat> to it's, the eyes. It's eye. a skill. And it's a skill thing too. Yeah, yeah. it's a mm-hmm. body mechanics, yeah. right? Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is very few things other than like a pine cone will actually help you start a fire in crummy conditions better than a good thin, wispy, Christmas yeah. tree style feather stick. Oh you yeah, they, it'll they go right up work. too. It'll absolutely go right up too. So yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a valuable skill to have and mm-hmm. when I see so many people practice them, like I said, it became very artistic but the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is that's a very useful way to practice using your tool. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, and it gives you gives you really good motor skill control. And feedback on the knife itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and yep. so, yeah, no, that, I that, That's an important skill to use. Is, is the knife comfortable when the feather sticking is an important thing that nearly everybody I've ever seen do a knife review check on. Yeah. I mean, everybody from, everybody, even not, nothing fancy to uh, Chris Tanner. Look at my workshop. Yep. I'll get new knives and feather yeah. stick the legs on my workbenches. <laughs> like I'll, not like go ham on it, but I'll just right. get in there and just start making curls. And I'm like, ooh, this is cool. You know, that's how I fell in love with the Scandies, you know. Right? So, yeah, that's pretty awesome. neat. All right, next uh, next story for story number two for today. What do we got? Uh, are we entering the era of nitrogen-based blade steels? Ooh. That's a good question. It's a good rust question. Rust proof. Right, right. So we want, we, what do we want in a steel? We want as little rust as possible, if any at all. Right. Right, if, if none at all. Unless you're one of those patina hounds. Right, you want, you want, you want edge retention. Yep. And you want supreme toughness. Yep. Where do you draw the balance? Because we can name several steels that are really good at at least two of the three. Oh, I mean, it's just like playing a video right. game, like a race car video game, sure. where you up the maximum speed, but your handling goes to hell. Oh, yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? Yep. And so you're always kind of balancing. No, 100%. I mean, good example would probably be like, uh, um, what, what would be a good example? Uh, comparing like A2 to LMAX. Right. right. Yeah, yeah your toughness be, for days, right. but then you have the chippiness of the, the super hard LMAX. Right, you know right. I mean? But the edge retention on the LMAX will, will, is like 10 times that of A2, or maybe right. that's hyperbole, but it's, but it's higher. Right. It's dramatically higher. I mean, so, so it's like there's always a balance between those three things. So a lot of people are putting forth that nitrogen-based steels are your trifecta. Really? So right? in edge retention and everything. Yeah, I knew everything. the corrosion resistance was a big one. So yep. let's, let's see what the, right. the real experts All have right. to say. So according to the article... With the advent of particle metallurgy, that's the CPM, that's the CPM vert thing, yeah. process. Process, there you go. Right? Uh, nitrogen-based steels have become a growing presence in the knife world. According to Elliot Williamson, founder of Ferrum Forge Knifeworks, one nitrogen-based steel in particular, CTSBD1N, has the potential to become as ubiquitous as VG10 or S35VN. Sounds like a virus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't come into work today. Yeah. I got the BD one in. Yeah. Ooh, don't. Yeah, you better not. Yeah. <laughs> Williamson, who has worked with nitrogen-based steels for years, says the category brings significant advantages over more traditional chemical compositions. Nitrogen molecules being one third the size of chromium results in a more refined grain structure, resulting in a blade that takes a finer edge and that is less susceptible to chipping. Now that, that so it's kind of like right. what vanadium does that too, doesn't yep, it? Yep. I mean, vanadium, it's a grain refiner. Yep, yep. Vanadium does that too. I think. I think uh, uh, chromium is like your through hardener, right? Yeah. And then the more you add that, you get you get the you get the stainless resistance on top of that. Vanadium, vanadium gives you what is what is that? That's your that's your stabilizer and making and making. Yeah, so it's a grain. Bring, it's bring, yeah. Bring it so uh, the way it was described mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. and again, this um, we're sitting in our studio. We're totally capable of being wrong. 
uh, is that the carbon <laughs> wants to bond with chromium, resulting in less free chromium out there to add to corrosion resistance. Correct. Unless there is something more appealing, for lack of a better term, for the carbon to bond with, right. which is going to be molybdenum, which then frees up some chromium to Correct. add to corrosion resistance. Correct. And even more over would be vanadium. So the right. carbon really wants to bond with the vanadium, which are smaller. Right. And that adds to a finer grain, whereas the chromium carbides are coarser, adding mm -hmm. to a less ductility. It's not going to be as tough because uh, it's more like uh, sand cast versus forge. Now, I'm not saying right. the knife. I'm saying the process, if you were to look at it. Just it, to illustrate a point. Right. Yeah. yeah just to illustrate yeah. a point. Thank you. Right, no problem. So, so they're saying that nitrogen, nitrogen is in there too. Mm. So, so it does kind of the kind of the same thing as the vanadium. So, does a carbon bond with the nitrogen? Um, I am looking. I'm I'm looking for that. Um, the presence of nitrogen also allows for less chromium to be used in general while still maintaining or even improving steel sand resistance. Exactly what you were talking about. Okay. So, so we've got we've got more bonding with the nitrogen than than the chromium. Are going you on. the only one that has a hard time wrapping your head around nitrogen as a gas? Is nitrogen a solid in it's, any state? It's, it's I, I I try to think of it as just an element. Right, that that you can impart. So whatever state it's in, in the it's just crazy. Yeah, so to me, right? I'm like, come again. And so maybe <laughs> it's like, just that's my, a gas. So come if we on. have any uh, chemists <laughs> out there, I, I just can't think of like at room temperature, right? Nitrogen being in a solid enough state, right? Let alone at 1400 degrees or whatever. You know, mm -hmm. the heat treating. Yeah, I, th I think I think if somebody were to explain to us exactly how they're able to do that. You know, it's like, it's, like, it's like what temperature they work at. And maybe we just don't know enough about the actual chemical process when they combine the stuff together. Maybe, yeah. I mean, which is which is entirely possible because because Matt and I are chemists. We're knife makers. And we've got like a rudimentary idea about how the elements go together. We do not know enough. But we, <laughs> but we, we don't know enough. And we probably never know enough. Right. Because we always have questions. Yeah. And, and we know that you guys do too. So, you know, help us on this journey of discovery. So if there are any chemists out there that know more than we do, by all means, email us oh. at info behind the blade. How do you get nitrogen off. hard? <laughs> Without making it cold. Yeah, yeah. Real cold. <laughs> right. Presence of nitrogen also allows for less chromium. We said that in a, in a DIN 50021 salt spray test where samples are sprayed with a salt water solution and left to sit for a large time to gauge their corrosion resistance, Bowler Udaholm's N360 nitrogen steel proved more rust resistant than 440C, even though 440C contains more chromium than N360. Right, because that chromium is freed up. And right. It's just it's all about. Right. And it right. is we're, defending that material. Right. We're, we're, whereas in 440C, it's pretty much just bonded. Yes. You know, in, in, uh, it's, it's chunked up wherever it happened to bond. Yep. And that, that's where it is. Interesting. Um, Tom, Tom crying, I'm calling you. I think you know the answer to this. Please let me know. Shoot me a PM. <laughs> uh, I think H1 from Spyderco is a nitrogen based steel also. Is it really? I, I, I don't think we can actually even call him. H1, I don't believe, is technically a steel. Oh, really? I don't think it has any carbon. Huh. It, but I, that's so interesting. I, I think it's nitrogen-based. So, from what I understand, it's a work-hardening uh -huh. metal. It right. is a metal, but not a steel by definition. Right, because it doesn't have ex yeah, or any carbon, carbon at all. Right. right. Interesting. Uh, quote, chromium, chromium is a necessary evil in Martin Zedek's stainless steel, but nitrogen stainless steels do seem to mitigate some of the drawbacks, Williamson concludes. Interesting. You know what they also do? What's that? Oh, <laughs> I'm going to say something that may not be entirely accurate, but I'm going to say it anyway. So I just want to caveat with that. Um, <laughs> I, I think they play hell with the surface finish. Uh, well, what do, what do you mean by that? Play so hell with it. it's my understanding mm -hmm. that back in the day, S30V, I, used, I was making knives at this era. Mm -hmm. um, 
when you would go to flat sand it or yeah. finish it, it would look like when you peeled all the toppings off of a pizza. Oh, you know, you were telling me about this. And it yeah. was almost blistery. Not yeah. like inclusion, but more like oh. worn pothole look. They were really so, yeah. big. Yeah, almost, almost like how orange peel looks. Yes, yeah, you, but really aggressive and right. sporadic and, and not as homogenous. But this is from hand sanding. Yeah, this is just hand That's sanding. Crazy. And I'm not yeah. that fast or and, that strong. And, and, you're, yeah. and you're not, you're not, <laughs> right, you're not getting <laughs> anywhere close to enough heat to orange peel. No, I was not moving yeah. at 3,200 strokes per second. And so, uh, <laughs> It was, uh, <laughs> however, uh, um, and it left these kind of bubbles that in no way weakened the steel, but they played hell on the surface finish. And it was my heat treat guys explanation that it was nitrogen bubbles that were escaping. Mm-hmm. So maybe they were outgassing or something. Maybe you couldn't like drill a hole and find like a water table cavern under there. Right. You know what I mean? It right. was just like irregularities in the surface finish. And from what I understand that was caused by nitrogen. So I'd be curious to see if the pure nitrogen steels, like I know the, uh, uh, H1 from Spyderco. I mean, I have right. a couple Spydercos in that steel, and they they're beautiful machine finishes. Right. But I don't know how fine they have they can go before right. it, it well, gets compromised. About what finish? About what finish is it at when you when you get it? Uh, 400 grit. So at 400 okay. grit, it right. would really start to come out. So you would have to drop back to like 220 yeah. and stop. You know what right. I mean? And just yeah. call it good at that. Gotcha. And, and since then, I guess Spyderco made somewhat of a stink. Again, this is according to my heat treat guy back in Colorado who cooked all Spyderco's knives uh, in the U.S. market. Ashes of cigarette. I'm sorry. Um, mm-hmm. He said that Spyderco made enough of a stink that they approached uh, Crucible to right. revamp their process, and, and that fixed the issue. And so S30V no longer suffers from that pizza crust, you know, uh, surface finish, which is kind of nice. That that is that is interesting. So yeah, I'm sorry I hijacked this totally. No, no, but. no, it's all good. It's all good. Williamson tells us among the current crop of nitrogen steels, N360 and ETK's Zfinite, 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 Zfinite. Z dash F I N I T. Z finite. Z finite. Yeah. Sure. Are comparable to S seven tool steel. Ooh. In um, toughness. Toughness. Toughness would be crazy. And shock that. resistance. Yeah. 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 Obey with extremely heightened stain resistance and edge retention on par with one fifty four cm. Hey. hey. That's that's that not bad. To be a good steel. Yeah. So, but he tells us Carpenter's CTSBD one N holds the potential to achieve stardom as the go to performer of the production knife world. Cost about now, BD-1 has been around for a long time. So I think yeah. this BD-1 November is the introduction of nitrogen to that to, alloy. Right. And BD-1, right. if I'm not mistaken, is VG-10? Something like Just that. Just not super proprietary similar. trade name, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like 154CM and ATS-34. Right, I, and I believe the differences are just between mills. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, instead of 0.7, it's 0.8. Gotcha. You know, yeah, or, yeah. You know, just like minor stuff. Um, but that's really interesting. It says the cost is the same as about as VG-10 or N690. Really? Well, that, how would you know what VG10 costs? Nobody outside of Japan can get their hands on it. <laughs> Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> but um, I do know that uh, I do know that that, that not, while not being cheap steals, those are certainly cheaper than say Elmax. Right at twenty eight you know? bucks a pound oh, or whatever. And it's it is. going yeah. up. Yeah, it's, it's going insane. up from what we have. So yeah. you know, and then more people keep on ordering Elmax from us. Matt, what are we gonna do? In, add a tariff war and <laughs> yeah, a trade war, and we're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy. Uh, be, uh, VG10 or N690 with a better mix of wear resistance, corrosion resistance, and sharpenability. These qualities make it an easy choice for anyone looking for the best price, for the best price to performance ratio. I would agree. If we're getting that kind of, uh, if, if same price as VG10, which is like Fault Neven's base steel. Right. Right. And, uh, Spyderco's Seki made. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, totally. line. Right, yeah. Right, right. Their Seki made $100 gets you a Seki made yep. knife, brand new VG10. Right. 
Um, these qualities make it an easy choice for anyone looking for the best price to performance ratio. Quote, I think this could be the steal that changes things in the industry, Williamson says. That would be awesome. I think you'll, I think, you'll see me jump into it in about five years when they have heat treat dialed in right? and they know yes. all the ins and outs right. and then I'll start dabbling with it. I'm not one to be on the <laughs> forefront of cutting edge steel because I tell you what, a uh-huh. good heat treated 1095 knife is very tough, very serviceable. Yeah. It just doesn't have the edge retention. So 1095 is your baseline, right? Oh yeah. And so everything you want to stack onto it, well, is it tough? Is it corrosion resistant? Mm-hmm. Does it hold an edge? And that's why we do CPMs and three Vs, CPM 154s and three Vs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you know, like some guy has an amazing heat tree recipe for it, but in five years, he's going to be wrong about mm-hmm. it. Someone else will have one better. I mean, cause that's what innovation and innovation does. Yeah. So, and look, we're taking stuff to the market. So, I mean, there are going to be people who are pioneers and there are going to be people who focus more on the design construction, not necessarily how avant-garde their steel selection is. Right. So exactly. we, we let the pioneers do their thing and then we come in in the background and apply what we know to it. Right. 100%. Um, and he has a concern about it though. My major concern about BD1N is whether or not Carpenter will be able to keep enough of it supplied. So if it's made the same way as the CPM steels are, they, that means that they're limited in the poundage of each lot. Right. You know, like A2, my father actually put up a, uh, was part of a DLT video recently and he kind of, uh, kind of highlighted the whole thing. When A2 is made, they make 80,000 pounds at a time. I gleaked all over myself. Oh, oh uh, that's gross. Yeah, yeah. That's disgusting. It's very professional. <laughs> yeah. But they make 80,000 pounds at a time. Wow. Right? Just this massive size lot. And it's a lot of steel. What's 3V? Right? Like 5,000 pounds at a time? 3V is like 1,500. 15. 1,500 15, pounds. Wow. It's, 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 it's ridiculously small. Yeah. So, and that's in, in roughly the same amount of time in a smaller, you know, nitrogen vacuum kind of a spray form thing. Right. Excellent steel, but it's a very, very low quantity. So, so the, the supply is very low. So if this is the same kind of spray form thing that it, that it does before, um, you're just, you're just going to have a lower amount available on the market, which means that the price is going to be higher you know, that you normally would be just by basic laws of supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and people are going to want to get their hands on it. You know, yeah. I, I think that's cool. You know, it's cool. It's cool. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to talk to dad about this. <laughs> we could definitely, we could definitely stand to, 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 to do that. I wonder what it grinds like, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, is is I, there anything available right now in BD1N that we could just pick up? I don't know. Uh, we'd have to just call around. Yeah. Let's try it. Um, and Cold Steel recently announced they had to ditch Carpenter's XT, uh, CTS XHP Why? as their standard blade material because the company couldn't maintain a reliable stream. And Cold Steel bangs out some knives, yep. man. Their volume is mm-hmm. off the charts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're hitting a super wide market with a bunch of different stuff. So an XHP is a really good steel, but if they're not able to get it in the quantities that they need, I mean, I'd say that'd probably be your number one barrier. Yeah. You know, for, for production knives. You know, Jim, I... Hmm. Oh, forgive me now. What? Are you going to rant? Why? Why do we have to keep going through this rigmarole? Why, again, I mean, there's nothing I hate worse than that chart, that arbitrary chart that's out on the internet that says what the best knife steel is. Uh Can we not perform the functions that we want to perform with the steels that are available on the market today? Has anybody Mm -hmm. broken a 3V knife? And what does it take to break a knife other than gross misuse? You know what I mean? They're meant (laughs) to cut and stab. Right. The end. That's right. it. And you want enough impact resistance so that if you step, if you color a little bit outside of the lines, mm-hmm. that your knife will be reliable. But I think we've achieved that in 3V. I think we've achieved yep. that in ATS 34 or RWL 34. RWL 34. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even mm-hmm. that too. So um, we have edge retention. We have corrosion resistance. We have good finishing steels. We have toughness for days now between 1v oh, and 3v and, and even crew wear 4v. Uh, crew, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So I. I honestly, and I'm going to put this out there, and I hate to pull back the curtain on this, this 
is marketing. This is marketing because yep. I tell you what, I've never been like, uh, no one's ever picked up a Great Eastern uh, slip joint and mm-hmm. been like, this knife sucks. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> this knife doesn't do any, this does, knife doesn't carve. I can't peel a peach with it. I right. can't do, no, you can do limitless things with even simple carbon steels. So the fact that we just keep pushing this envelope, is there really a need for it? Is anybody? There definitely is something to be said for, for having a steel that solves a problem that you didn't have that in the first place. That doesn't exist. That doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. Um, um, so we're definitely not being cynical about it. We definitely, I get, am. Well, well yeah, yeah, I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'm being gonna, very cynical I'm gonna go, about I'm, it. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that if people want to buy X, that people should make X and they should sell X to fill that to, need. To fill that need. Right. And, and that's, that's really where I come from. But I understand the crux of your argument yep. totally is that, is that Matt Martin can make a knife out of 440C that will perform very well and last you the rest of your life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, right. A hundred percent. We were just having this discussion the other day is, I mean, you could hand somebody a 440C blade. Yeah. Not tell them what it is, and they would go sh- go over the moon with ecstasy at the performance of this knife. But because <laughs> of 440 A and B, and because of kind of dubious markings, especially out of Asia in the mm-hmm. 80s, yep. these fell so far out of favor that nobody will touch it anymore. Right. That was before laws where people actually had to be accurate about yes. what they were selling. Right. Yeah. So I, I, it's just... I don't know. I, I think it's kind of bananas. I don't mind playing the cynic. I don't have as large a customer base that I have to mm. appease like you guys do because right. reality is if, if somebody called you and was like, hey, we really want blue shirts in your shirt manufacturer, you're like, what's wrong with purple? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I'm playing that role because I can afford to. I don't think you guys can. I don't and know. So, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely shift to the market. Right, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, right. uh, I mean, and people are going away from A2 yeah. in our market. I mean, like A2 still our mainstay based deal. But if people were to say, we're never buying another A2 knife from you. We'll be like, okay, well, what would you buy as oh, a base deal? Yeah, my Blackjack 1. 154CM? Okay, we'll My Blackjack 1.7, it's never done anything, right? right. Yeah, it's A2, yeah. it's garbage. It's I've right. never thrown it. I've never yeah. batoned with it. I've never feather-sticked. And, I've never cut anything with it. And, yeah. and outside of the one single run of 3V that we did for them, A2 is the best steel that Blackjack 1.7s have ever been in. I tell you what, yeah. I mean, I, before I, that, they were 5200 and 1095. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, no. And th- that was sarcasm, by the way, guys, just in case you weren't. Yeah, yeah, no, we're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cynical at all yeah. on this we're so, totally we're totally just kind of all right. a little bit all right is that news that is news good sir and uh we will be back with some delectable history oh yeah that's right week's history segment is brought to you by our dear friends at DLTTrading.com. That's Delta Lima Tango Trading. I'm not going to spell that phonetically because who's got time? Is that the phonetic alphabet, Matt? Oh, I figured this one out. (laughs) (laughs) Continue. So you can find anything there from the kids line of Mora knives all the way up to extraordinarily high-end customs and everything in between. I know that here at VK World Headquarters, in the back, we have a bunch of SOG tomahawks that we got from DLT Trading, and we throw those at just about every lunch break and then times we need to blow off steam. Other than that, I can call up Jason and say, hey, do you guys carry Openels? They carry the Duluth Bushcraft Backpack Series, the Wax Canvas Duluth Trading, or not Duluth Trading, but Duluth uh, Packs. Uh, it's amazing. So anything you could possibly imagine in the outdoors and cutlery, those are your guys to go look up. That's DLTTrading.com, and be sure to tell them that Behind the Blade sent you.
And we are back for the long-awaited history segment. As we alluded to in the news segment, Jim and I are both sporting these awesome open elves, oh, very yes. historical knives. And in such, we were like, we need to do a segment on these because this is just too cool. And so many people have them in their tackle box or in their you know junk drawer or knife right. collection and, or on their hip. And we just feel that they don't get the appreciation that they do sometimes, considering considering how actually prolific these these really are. They are, you know, they with the hipsters, they made a big comeback because they're oh, so yeah? classic looking and and not menacing at all. No, they're just um, it's just a simple tool and. Uh, it's like it's like an antithesis to that uh, metropolitan idea of what knives are. Exactly. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. they're um, – oh, I had something. Oh, it's it's somewhat of a ritual to open your Opinel, right? It kind of is. Yeah, yeah I, can, I can totally get that because it's it's, it's it's its own experience. It's a friction-folding knife mm-hmm. that when you grab it at the nail nick, it folds to you know full open position like any other knife. And then it has this kind of ramped ferrule that twists into position, locking it with zero play. And that ramp, as it wears, well, it gradually tightens as you go. Right. And then even in the closed position, that ramp is uh, re- duplicated on the bottom side, and it locks it shut. So, it, I don't know, it's just kind of, they're kind of fun to open up. Not as fun as a switchblade, but there is a little <laughs> bit of a ritual to it. So Absolutely. Th- there's a presentation, I guess, when you open them up. And Yeah, it's an experience. Yes, it's so experience, let's get yeah. down to it. We're going to burn through this because we want to try to get as many Q&As out of the way as we possibly can. So Hit me, Mr. Matt Martin. Gladly. The Open Ow. O Company has manufactured <laughs> and marketed a line of eponymous... Is that how you say that? Ep- 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 let me see. Ep- let me see. Eponymous. Ep- eponymous. So eponymous. It? it means of the same name. I just eponymous. Never, I, yeah, ep- eponymous. Eponymous. I've eponymous. only read it, never spoken it. <laughs> eponymous wouldn't handle knives since 1890, dude. Oh, 18, I'm telling you, yeah, these oh. are not new kids on the block. So Webster Marble had one. You're right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Probably was, carried one. Yeah. Same, same time. Right? 1890 yeah. from its headquarters in St. Jean de Maurienne, Marion? Savoy, France. Maurienne? M-A-R-I-O-N? No, you. M-A-U-R-I-E-N-N-E. Maurienne? Maurienne. 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 St. Jean de Maurienne, Savoy, France. I don't speak French. So I mock her all the time. Uh, Where the family-run company also operates a museum dedicated to its knives, which I'm sure is rich in depth and breadth because it's been around so long. The company sells approximately 15 million knives annually. I mean, that's pretty good throughput, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, Yeah, 15 million annually. a lot of beech trees. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm I'm all excited with about 35,000 Yeah, yeah. 15 (laughs) 15 meg. Yeah. Yeah. Open-hill knives are made of both high-carbon and stainless steel, the latter being the highest quality Sandvik steel from Sweden. Originally sold as a working man's knife, the Open L knife has become emblematic of French culture, with Pablo Picasso reportedly using one of the company's knives as a sculpting tool. In 1989, the LaRousse Dictionary cited Open L as a registered trademark, and in the French language, the term Open L has become genericized trademark to refer to any wood-handled folding knife. Oh, like Xerox. Like, or yeah, Kleenex. Like Kleenex. Q-tips. Right, Band-Aid. Scotch tape. I'm out. Weed eater. We- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just to show me yeah, that you yeah, have one yeah, more yeah, on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> the Coupe de Grace. Uh, let's see. Uh, not necessarily only those made by the company. And so uh-huh. Joseph Openel began making knives in 1890 in Savoy, France, as a simple working man's or peasant's knife. It proved popular with the local farmers, herdsmen, and paysans, vignerons, uh, peasant winemakers, I don't know if I pronounced that right or not, of the area. In 1897, a series of 12 sizes, number 1 through 12, that's a lot of different variations of the same knife, Pretty cool. uh, was developed. From 1901 to 1903, Joseph Openel built his first factory on Pont... If I knew these were all going to be French words, I <laughs> know me, they're made in France. This is here, killing me. Tag. Okay. 
Tag. Tag. All right. Uh, first paragraph, second um, section. Open elevator trademark. Uh, down here. I'm gonna Wait, use down here. Oh. I'm gonna use cities in Arizona in place of these. Here. <laughs> right, so okay. That. Okay. Yeah, I could just couldn't find the spot. Okay. So yeah. if you guys want to look this up, this is taken from Wikipedia. In the meantime, I'm gonna use cities that I can pronounce just to keep continuity, and they're all in Arizona. So we're gonna do <laughs> it's this. It's uh, Charlottesville, France. Yeah. So okay. Joseph Openell built his first factory in Bisbee. <laughs> and produced a machine for mass production of the knife's wooden handles. The company hired peddlers to sell the knives and open a small shop near Tucson Railway Junction, <laughs> where the knives became popular with PLM railroad workers, who in turn spread word of the brand throughout France. By 1909, Openel had registered his first trademark for the Openel knife, choosing the main crowned hand as his emblem. So uh, you can see that on the knives themselves. There's a hand with kind of a crown riding the middle finger. That looks like... Oh, uh, yeah. So that was, you know, chosen <laughs> in 1909. A few years later, Openel annual sales were in the hundreds of thousands, and by the start of World War II, as many as 20 million knives had been sold. That's awesome. Good that, for them, that's man. That's pretty impressive, that's pretty cool. right? Yeah. The Openel Vera Block, or safety twist lock mechanism, was invented by Marcel Openel in 1955. Oh, so that wasn't from the onset. No, That was yeah. an innovation later. Yeah, like, uh, like, 65, like 30 years later. Yeah. 65 years, because he started oh. in 1890, right? Uh, what, what, was the, what was the year when they introduced it? 1955. Oh, yeah, that is yeah. 60 So it was years. a basic yeah. peasant knife right. all the way until the Vera Block was introduced. That's awesome. Yeah, which is pretty huh. sweet. Uh, it was allowed to be in, uh, increasing the safety and versatility of the knife by allowing the blade to be locked up in the open position. In 2000, the Vera Block locking mechanism was improved to allow locking the blade in either open or closed position. 2000? So, that was that recent? Yeah, in 2000, they added the lower ramp, which I huh. was surprised to see. And that makes sense because gotcha. I don't think I've examined an open L, you know. In, in, I, I've maybe just because I'm a little bit of a youngin, but I've never seen an open L without it. But I really didn't get into knives gotcha. until I until it was like 2001 when we started Bark River. Gotcha. So 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 yeah, timing. In 1985, the Victoria and Albert Museum in London selected... London's actually the name of the town. There is no London, Arizona, by the way. Uh, <laughs> selected the Openel knife as part of an exhibit celebrating the 100 most beautiful products in the world. Wow, that's pretty fancy. That's Featuring cool. the Openel alongside the Porsche 911 sports car and the Rolex watch. It's up there with the Porsche and the Rolex. I have one-third of my aristocratic collection complete. It <laughs> 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 was so easy. <laughs> I'm 33% of the way there, man. Uh, <laughs> Do I buy you fancy scarves now or later? <laughs> the Open L was also selected as one of the 999 classic designs in Fadon Design Classics and has been exhibited by the New York's Museum of Modern Art, MoMA, as a design masterpiece. Cool. That is quite the accolade. Pretty it slick. is legal to buy an open L in the United Kingdom, however, with the exception of smaller models with a blade length less than three inches and without a locking mechanism, it is illegal to carry one in public without good reason. <laughs> I am a peasant winemaker. Hands off me. Uh, <laughs> the traditional open L has a beechwood handle and a high carbon XC90 steel uh, blade. Open L also offers most of its models with the Sandovic 12C27M stainless steel blade, nice. which is what we have. The mm -hmm. variants that we ended up with are with the stainless. Okay. Custom open L models are available using luxurious or exotic handle, uh, handle woods such as oak. <laughs> such as oak. <laughs> luxurious and exotic, like, you know, oak. <laughs> uh, <laughs> walnut, olive, rosewood, and stained hornbeam, as well as other materials such as cow horn. That's cool. The open L yeah. slim 
Eiffel series. I, it's not Eiffel because maybe it's supposed to be, but it's misspelled. Slim Eiffel series. Use a tapered handle with a slender clip point blade made of Sandvik stainless steel, and the handle may be obtained in a variety of different materials, including babinga wood, which is beautiful, olive yep. wood, ebony mm-hmm. wood, and cow horn. Awesome. So, yeah, those that's, are, cool. that's exotic and that's luxurious. Cool. Yeah. I might have to look into more. More of this stuff, especially what what, what what steel do we got? We got we got the we got Inox, the, we got the twelve C twenty seven. Yeah, yeah, yes, San, yep. cool, cool, very cool. Yeah, twelve C twenty seven. Yep, yep, right up. Yeah, oh, right on the blade. It says Inox. There you which go. From an earlier episode, you guys should know stands for Inoxidab. Yeah, which is stand resistance. Which is stand resistance. <laughs> Viva la stand resistance. <laughs> <laughs> Viva Linux. Yeah. Right. The current Opel knife <laughs> consists of a blade, wooden handle, stainless steel metal clamping band, stainless pivot pin axle, and except and except. In the case of the smaller models, a stainless steel Vera block locking collar, which locks the blade open or closed. Smaller Openel models, number two through five, have no locking blade mechanism and use only the friction of the clamping band against the compressed handle and knife tank to hold the blade open, much the same as an as Openel knives sold before 1955. This simple design was sometimes known as a penny knife or a peasant's knife. The locking collar, Vera block, was patented in 1955 by Marcel Openel and is only found on the larger Openel models, number six and up. While simple, the locking mechanism is quite sturdy and converts the folding Openel into nearly the equivalent of a fixed blade knife for all practical purposes. Due to the way in which the locking collar tapers, the blade does not loosen over time and can be fixed firmly even once the mechanism is quite worn. In 2000, the locking collar was modified slightly to allow the blade to be locked in the closed as well as the open position. This feature prevents the blade from opening by accident when carried in a pocket. 80% of all Openel knives use traditional beechwood for the handle. The company's large demand for beechwood not infrequently results in a shortage of pre-cut handle blanks, oh. forcing the use of rectangular bulk sheets, which generate considerable wood waste. The excess wood waste and sawdust generated is subse- subsequently recycled. Hmm. Uh, the curve of the original Openel blade is a yatagan, while the flared butt at the base of the wood handle is referred to a fishtail. The number eight, Kutu... Couteau du, du jardin or garden knife. Couteau de jardin. Thank you. Oh, jar, yep. jardin. Okay. jardin. Okay. Thank you. Mm. I'm really not. I French isn't my language, man. Uh, je, je prends je, je prends français uh, dans le corps. Très Did you say my French sucks? Is that what you said? Uh, I took. I said I took three years in French. Oh, but, okay. But it, but yes, it is bad. You should really be reading this. <laughs> Vive la stain resistance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. You got uh, the better voice. Voted okay. In by far. Uh, or garden knife <laughs> uses a folding drop point blade. In concert with a slim tapered wood handle, while the Openel Number no. 8 and Number no. 10 pruning knives designed for pruning shrubs and vines feature a large folding hawkbill blade fitted to an elegantly curved wooden handle. The Openel Slim Ephile series use a thinner profile stainless steel blade fitted to a tapered wooden handle available in several sizes and handle materials. The Slim series knives are intended for tasks such as cleaning and filleting fish and thinly slicing meats and cheeses. Perfect. I'm telling you. Perfect. Kitchen knife. Yep. Mm-hmm. The traditional Openel is designed to be open with two hands and a nail nick is provided on the blade. It is possible to adjust the fitting of the safety locking collar in the event that the latter is either too tight or too loose. Those practiced in the art often utilize a coup de savoyard, tap the heel, use the coup de savoyard. Hmm. Tap the heel of the handle hard on the table once and the blade should open slightly from the handle, allowing it to be rotated in position with the thumb. Uh... Holy crap, it works. Did it? It did. It totally did. Check. Oh, oh this is, is good radio. Yeah. Oh, yep. 
It do, you're right. Right. It doesn't oh, work. Okay. Look is at that, that. That's amazing. So yeah, by by pretty much slamming the butt of the handle in the closed position right. on the table, it disengages the blade enough, like through inertia, I guess. And uh, sure enough, it moves it away from there, allowing you to open it one-handed. Just enough. It's, it's kind of dramatic it. and neat. That's, All right. That's so, kind of cool. So th- those are the giant spikes in my radio form now. Yeah. <laughs> to be rotated in position with a thumb. Uh, the crowned hand device was already present on the blade of very early models. Later, the words Openel in France were added, as well as Inox, stainless from inoxidable, meaning non-oxidizable, mm. in case of stainless steel blade. Too cool. The image of the hand comes from the arms of Saint Jean de Marienne, and did I say it right? And represents yeah, right. the relics of John the Baptist, three of whose finger bones were supposedly brought back from Alexandria by Saint Tecla in the fifth century. The crown comes from the arms of Savoy, the larger region containing Savoy, the city. Mm. That's uh, that's a pretty intense logo. Yeah, yeah. So, it, so it, that's why he's missing it, the fingers. It. It's because it's because they're in Savoy, John the Baptist. Wow. Himself. Okay. Has blessed, has blessed the Every single one. F- uh, right? <laughs> open L knives are currently offering 11 number sizes, 2 through 13. The number one open L was discontinued in 1932 with its tiny 2 centimeter blade and boxwood handle. 2 centimeter blade. Uh, huh. It was meant to be attached to a key fob or a watch chain and is used as a tobacco well, pipe cleaner. They still have those, though. Or a nail cleaner. They still have those. Number ones? Oh, uh, well, well, at least knives that small. I mean, like, because uh, I remember um, there, was, there was a grind in that DLT had... Uh, had a bunch of little ones with the DLT logo engraved on it. And, oh, neat. And, and you could put it on your key fob. Oh, oh. And well, I've, got, cool. I've got one laying around somewhere. Why didn't I remember that? I should have I, I just grabbed it. That's your fault. That's that, as it bad is. as my, my bad. My bad. Tobacco pipe cleaner or nail cleaner, but was judged to be too small. The number 11 Open L was discontinued in 1935, its size being considered too similar to Open L's number 10 and 12. Like, there's no reason for Yeah. A variety of different Open L's have been offered over the years. A few are sold more for their novelty value than for practical purchases, purposes, such as Le Jante. What does that, what does that mean? Besides the Slim series, the Couteau du Jardin. 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 Couteau, Couteau, de, Couteau in French means knife. Oh, okay. Couteau de Jardin. So no, garden knife. Okay. Yeah. Garden knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Open L offers a hawkbill blade printing knife design used in the Gardener Vineyard and a large folding wood saw with locking blade used in the same Vero Block, uh, I happen to know that Reed over at North Star Trading Post mm-hmm. has one of these with the folding saw. He may oh. have the hawk blade also, but I know he does have the folding saw variation. That's cool. That's really cool. I thought was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, I can totally see why people collect these. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many of them, right? The same Vero Block mechanism found on the large open L knives. For the kitchen, the company sells vegetable peelers, chef's knives, paring knives, knives with corkscrews, and prep knives for the kitchen, including a mushroom knife with an integral boar's hair cleaning brush for cleaning the dirt off of your freshly harvested mushrooms. Huh. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Uh, huh. Mushroom brushes are kind of, because you cut the stem, yeah. and then you like bang the spores out, and then you use your brush to wipe the dirt off uh-huh. so you don't bruise them and you know, beat them up. Cool. Uh, let's see. In 2014, OpenL released, again, new varieties of knives for cooking. And that is it. That is the complete history of Open L knives dating back to 1890, according to Wikipedia. And there were many numbers in brackets, so you know it's been cited, and it's all accurate. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good, just good to listen to it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, it was it was cool. I had no idea that Open L had such a rich history, but I, I probably should have guessed because because the design is so easily executed and and uh, and, and simplistic. 
and it wouldn't be around today if there wasn't if it wasn't steeped in some amount of history because right. this can't compete with a paramilitary two from Spider Man. No, right? you know what I mean. No, not so at all. There must be historical significance to it, and the fact that there is makes them all the more carryable and enjoyable. I recommend you guys give DLTTrading.com a shout. Order an Open L today. I believe they have most of their line. I think yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can throw it in your backpack and just know that you have one killer camp kitchen knife at any given moment. Yeah, this thing's cool. Definitely taking it camping with me this summer. Yes. So, absolutely. All right. And that's uh, that wraps up the history segment, you guys. We will be back soon with the Q and answers. Hey, Jim. What's up, Matt? You pretty good at math? No. I think you might even be able to get this one. Give me a number between 14 and 16. So the smart aleck in me wants to say 14.75, but I'm going to say Whole number. Whole number. Okay, yeah, 15. (laughs) What's significant about 15? That, Matt, I believe would be the number of switchblades we have in our possession right now. You better believe it. Not just any switchblades. We're talking vintage stilettos dating back from the 50s through the 70s. And I think there's even a couple contemporary pieces in there. There are some real ones in there too. There's some There's some uh, good uh, frost fries in there yep. that, that, are, that are really good. I believe I believe one of them is a kissing crane. And, uh, and the others, the others, there's varying, varying sorts of makers Yeah. in them, ranging from all sorts of sizes. There are a couple of them that you could wear as earrings. They're so small. And there's a couple that wouldn't fit down a pant leg. So yeah, <laughs> yeah there's uh, so what do you think we should do with these? Man, how about a raffle? I think that's a brilliant idea, my man. These were actually generously donated to our effort by the man himself, Todd Walensky, friend of Behind the Blade podcast, owner of True Saber Limited Knives. Yeah, he kicked these down to us so we could raise a couple bucks and up our game. So we're ever indebted to Mr. Walensky and True Saber. Thank you very much, sir, for that. What if we threw it up in the trench crew and held a fundraiser for Behind the Blade podcast so that we can get the equipment that we need for soundproofing to bring you guys a less echoey cavernous experience when you're hearing our soothing voices over the airwaves. Uh, So we would use the money, the proceeds from this, to improve your listening experience on the show. We'd be adding another microphone for guest interviews. Absolutely. And we would be adding the soundproofing or however yep. much we were able to get. We have right. a couple be- things on our punch yep. list. Because uh, if you guys listen to this right now, there is an ever so slight echo that we will never be able to get rid of because yep. we're, we're recording in a hard surface area. That's right. So, so we, we need, need to, rugs. Yeah. We need to deaden that out. Quite a bit. <laughs> there, you will always get the echo from between my ears, unfortunately. That's just... Ah, but there's no there. microphone there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so here's the plan gang is that we are looking to put and start up a raffle in behind the blade trench crew the group on facebook where as many of you guys are willing to pony up for the slots the details will be explained in the group when we do the drop and then winners will each walk with one switchblade one vintage switchblade saying that hey i helped out behind the blade podcast and this will be an ultimate kind of a giveaway too because it's not just a raffle that you'll see occasionally for one two three people it's for 15 15 winners and everybody that wins gets an awesome knife that's right pretty cool so anyways stay tuned on that we'll have details for you uh we're gonna go over it in severe detail on tuesday's meeting and then sometime next week we will have everything up including photographs and we'll get this party started so we appreciate all your continued support and this is a great way to show us how much you appreciate the show and also to show us how much you would like it to sound much better thank you very much we'll be back with your q a's 
right, Jim. Blade Show is behind us. Grinding is behind us. Major events of the year huh. behind us, at least for me, until September. Yeah, exactly. Up until, <laughs> until September. Yeah, until, and, up until the next one. Yeah. And as you ramp up for Blade, if you're going to have a table or a booth there, mm-hmm. you, I, this is one of the things I look forward to the most is developing new ways to become efficient. Oh, yeah, Because absolutely. every tick of the clock is louder than the last as you yeah. inch towards you know, tea time basically. Right. And it is time to go. Once it, once it's go time, it's go time. And you want to be as prepared as possible. Right. Yep. So in doing that, I had to figure out a more efficient way of getting those last little bastard scratches out of my mirror finishes (laughs) or even out of a simple hand rub. And I was fortunate enough last blade show to be uh, positioned right next to Tom Blodgett of Genda Industries. And he was telling me about the benefits of the abrasive sticks that they offer. Yeah. So I bought like a fistful. Yeah. I still have them a year later. Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, nothing can get those very difficult to reach pits and scratches out of a finish quite like those abrasive sticks. And I am a God's honest believer. This year we had some knives that were damaged en route to heat treat. Oh. I don't, we don't know if the box opened or what happened, but all my beautifully finished knives, we do vacuum heat treat, so they're like finished 100% by the time they go in. Right. And we get them back, we buff off the yellow oxide layer and they're brand new again. Not the case. It looked like they'd been drugged down the highway. Oh, no. So I had to be very aggressive in how we refinished and reconditioned the knives. And some had to be reground. But even still on the Ricassos and areas that were difficult to go through and regrind, I had to get creative. And I had to delve into my little bundle of Genda Industries abrasive sticks. And I was able to go perpendicular to the scratch pattern, get them all out, and then Mm -hmm. finish with sandpaper of the next lower grit. So I would actually go like 320 and then just keep kind of cross hatching up to a thousand right and then back drag those thousand scratches out with a 600 grit sandpaper and you end up with a true 600 grit finish not a 600 right. grit finish hiding 220 scratches somewhere in there right right, right. it was a true beautiful 600 grit finish even sometimes up to mirror polish not with the sticks but you would go to paper beyond that absolutely yeah and i it was tom Thank you. That was a game changer. Difficult to reach areas. Plunges. You already have your plunges set. Everything's beautiful. You don't want to jump back in on a wheel <laughs> this late in the up, game. And screw no. up our, you know, your beautiful knife already done. So we grind them to different shapes, and we can get in there and really work different areas. And I tell you what, absolute godsend. So please go check out Genda Industries. Jim, can you tell them where they can find these guys? www.gendaindustries.com. J-E-N-D-E industries.com. I'll let you figure out how to spell industries. You should know. <laughs> Please be sure to tell them that the goons at Behind the Blade podcast sent you. And welcome back. I know that uh, I'm pretty excited about Open L's now because, you know, it's always been something that I've always kind of been interested in. I remember having an Open L when I was much younger, but it is now time for four, the best part of the show because it involves you guys, our That's listeners. Right. Check this out. This is Q and A's. This is directly off of the Facebook post on our on the Behind the Blade podcast page. We put up a Q and A thing, and you guys had some Q's, and we're gonna give you some A's. Get ready to get your Q's A. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got? All right, Pierce W J Taylor, my man. Are there any custom knife designs that you've wanted to make but haven't been able to yet? I uh, like in. In ability, I guess you know I. It's probably it's probably more general than than what you're bringing it to be. Oh, okay. Uh, like like a, like a, is it just just on its face? 
Because I know you've oh. already made like a Loveless Big Bear. That was it, that was okay. Right? So that's where I was going. I okay, was like, gotcha, you know, yeah. it was a big big moment for me to finally be able to do that and be respectful to the original design. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? Not just be like, oh, this is a Loveless Big Bear. And it looks like it was not out by a beaver out of a railroad right, spike. Right, you know? Right. Yeah. You put um, like your life and soul into that. I remember that. That was a big deal yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah that, that was, cool. was a big deal. I would say uh, knives that I I haven't been able to do yet are hollow handled and not because of mm-hmm. ability or even equipment. It's just, I haven't been able to get around to it yet. I haven't right. been able to, and I don't, uh, I wouldn't, I don't want to just replicate like the Jimmy Lyle Rambo knife. You know what right. I mean? So I have to come up with something, you know? Um, yeah. So I would say that's probably as close as it is. I want to make a part for part, uh, billet handled Gerber Mark two. Oh, that's a good one. Like just for fun. Yeah, that's and cool. a leather that's a handled, Gerber Mark II style, like a wasp waisted blade. Right. But instead yeah. of having a one piece cast aluminum handle, I'd like it to have like a brass guard, brass, brass pommel. pommel. You know, I don't know. Just kind of have some fun with that. So uh, there yeah. are probably 10 or 15 knives that I kind of want to make for myself that are knives that were important to me as a kid mm-hmm. that I would like to make instead of production. Absolutely. I would like just to make a custom version of it. It'd no, be I, fun. I totally agree. Did you, um, little tangential, but a little bit, a little bit kind of along the same lines. Did you see Pete Winkler's version of the USMC um, um, uh, K-Bar. K-Bar? Yeah. Navy, he, like a Navy Mark II? Yeah, like a Navy Mark II K-Bar. No. He really pulled off a fantastic like G10 guard, G10 guard and butt oh, cap wow. with like a with, like stacked leather with different, uh, it's like it's like the front and the back of the handle were like thicker leather, but in the, but in the middle was thinner leather Sweet. to replicate like the kind of, the kind of swirl pattern yeah. that they put on for grip. And uh, it had, I call it a vehement choil. <laughs> right in the front because but it fit perfectly it had a nice long fuller down the down the oh, spine oh that's sweet he, i gotta check it out he did a really really good job Pete's so that's old guy yeah it's definitely definitely something you guys should check out is pete winkler and winkler knives or cross knives cross cross knives, knives. Cross yeah knives. cross knives you definitely should check that out all right next matthew schweer um in episode 22 you mentioned using white compound kissed with red for polishing stacked leather handles which red compound are you referring to which leads me to my next question so we'll answer the first one first mm-hmm. so i believe we get our red from and the name is escaping me it's not formax it's it's not formax no it's I not stamped it's no. I, maybe it is but it looks uh-huh. different because no, uh, yeah, you you get you get something you get something different don't you no i get it from you guys i go get my comp i buy my compounds from your shop are you sure it's not formax no yeah. not entirely i don't order it's it other than right. i need red and we're like here you go but it's, a, it's uh, like uh, the green it comes in right. the same size as the green you know how okay. like black yeah. and white comes in these huge blocks these that are formats, bars, yeah, and then these ones are smaller. I think they're still formats, and they're a different shape. Yeah, yeah. the the, the green it's the green rounder. bars, yeah, the green bars and the no, not the pink. I said the green and the uh, the green and the uh, the the reds all come in that like half bar. Yeah, size is that format? I think it, I'm pretty sure it's format. Okay. It's just not stamped. Yeah. that's why I was saying. I don't know. And and no. and, uh, and we'd have to get back to you with the X with the with the explicit formula because I know that. Uh, compound makers will have like twelve different whites, and every one of them is like is like electric is like electric polar white, but yeah. they're all different. And uh, that really messes with me too. Yeah, I would actually like a different green, although I right. do get good results out of this. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, well, I know for a fact that there's different greens because there's there's uh, there's jeweler's green, which is your jeweler's rouge, but the one that we get is actually like it's green. It's the same color green. But it's actually rougher than your jeweler's rouge. Gotcha. So right, your jeweler's rouge comes in at like twelve thousand grit, uh-huh. ridiculously fine. Ours is like six. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. So so it's actually it's actually it's actually rougher than white, is our green. 
Yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. Right. right? And yeah. As well, it should be. It should yeah. be stainless chrome. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. around there. Yeah. yeah. There's like some sort of a chrome thing in there as well. But, uh, but, and that confuses a lot of people because a lot of people will buy the green thinking that it's like the 12,000 jewelers meant for polishing gold and platinum uh, and silver. Right. And, and they're then, gone. Yeah. And, and then they're, and then they're like, why isn't this polishing? I'm yeah. like, well, cause it's the wrong compound. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, red, red is in there too. Um, and I know that the stuff that we use, we use the same kind of method that you use, Matt, for polishing leather mm-hmm. as well, and it comes out awesome. So, um, but uh, yeah, Formax has it. Um, just browse their catalog. Browse their catalog, Mister Schwer. Um, say, say oh, hello. and Matt, uh, just real quick on our handles, we do them a little bit different than Bark River. They throw mm-hmm. a little dose of rouge in with their natural leather handles, undyed, and that gives them a little bit of color. Mm-hmm. So in our shop, what we typically do is dye them once they're stacked on the night and once they're shaped. So we mm-hmm. will, yes. Yes. Uh, you know, we'll glue them all up and then we'll shape them down to, I want to say a 320 grit. And once we're spun down to a 320 grit, then I will go through and dye the entire yeah. handle using like a deep penetrating oil dye yeah. from Tandy or something like that. Here, here. And then I'll jump up to 1200, 2000 and then buff. And I can, because the dye, I can actually get away with just white, but by giving just a little kiss of red under the white, mm-hmm. then as I buff, it kind of maintains that color and brings everything nice and even. So, yep. uh, I mean, there are other methods to do it. Don't get so hung up on the compounds because honestly, if you just dyed it and go with white, you will see good positive results. And if you just want to enhance that, like I would say, call it pro tuning that, yep. then you would give it that kiss of red. Yep. And that may even be placebo effect in my world. I don't know. D- yeah, I don't know. But I, but I do know that Matt's, Matt's leather stacks are unparalleled. The second Thank time, you, the, sir. The only, the only other company, and it's to pat myself on the back, is that we do them almost as well as Matt does. <laughs> so, uh, next question though, uh, from Mr. Schweer. I love me some Wade and Butcher Knives. Yeah, me too, man. Mm-hmm. Those are really nice. What is the best way slash progression to restore slash touch up slash buff the leather and spacer stacks on those handles? Um, same way Matt said, you just refinish them. So yep. just throw on a three. So on, um, if it's already pretty close, you, I would just throw on a 1200 right away. Is there a 600 yes. micron? Yeah. Well, yeah. Somewhere. Um, we don't use it in the shop, so I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly where it is, but I imagine that, uh, Ryan and Phoenix Abrasives has it. Um, Sean, yeah, Sean, Sean Ryan, Sean, Sean Ryan, yeah, yeah. yeah, Sean Ryan. Um, yeah, Matt, call so, Sean at Phoenix Abrasives if you need his contact information. Uh, then look it up on Google, or you can always <laughs> message me. Right, uh, but right. uh, yeah, shoot me a PM. I know we're friends on Facebook, but yeah, I would give him a call and try to find because as a refinishing belt, you don't want to remove too much material, which Correct. you would at 320, I Correct. would think, unless you yep. had a very light hand. Yep. And you can't use worn belts on leather very easily because, because then it you'll burns. burn it. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, I would look for an intermediate as a refinishing belt and look in the 600 range and then move up to 12, 2000. That's really good advice. My original advice was be like, start at 1200. And if it's not cleaning up for you, then jump down to two, three twenty. But that's only with, that's only because that's what I would do in the shop in my world with the supplies that we t- commonly use. Yes. I don't stock specialty things. Right. You know, because, because I don't really, well, I'm starting to now with the advent of the custom the shop. Custom shop. With the advent of the custom shop, I need to like my own toolbox now that people can't touch. <laughs> and in there will probably be 600 grit belts. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have there now too. But um, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, a yeah, 600 grit belt. Start there. And, and, and is that uh, all he was asking about was the leather? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much. On, pretty the, much. on the Wade and Butchers? Yep. Okay. Yep. Just on the Wade and Butchers. And don't cut yourself because they're already sharp. Yeah. So, so tape know, that blade, man. Tape the blade, tape the blade, go to town, Um, start, start fine, work to course if you need it and then back up to fine. Mm-hmm. And then, go. and then buff and polish, you know, as per we, as per your first part question. So yeah, cool. And, uh, and thanks in advance. And you're very welcome, Mr. Schmier. With Mr. Schmier. 
I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. You see the size <laughs> of this guy? He's going to tear your I arms know, off. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. You know what? I'll bring him a bowl of pho. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he'll go. be good. <laughs> oh, and uh, who does number two work for? <laughs> is what he says. It's <laughs> a movie I haven't seen in forever. Um, from Thomas Dotwin. What can I do to help friends and coworkers? Is it Dotwin or is it, is it Doughton? Doughton. Doughton. I've it's always Doughton. wondered if this was yeah. a play on words as in like a doubt, Doubting Thomas. Right. right. Thomas D-O-W-T-I-N. Yeah. Doughton. Yeah, I see Thomas all around, but right. I've always wondered if that was a very clever play on words. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Or, or he just changes it, flip-flops back and forth Maybe. in between the episodes. Yeah. Are you a Doubting Thomas or right. a Thomas Doughton? Maybe. Oh. Uh, what can I do to help friends and coworkers to see the light of quality cutlery? Is it very hard for me to convince them of the dangers and folly of gas station knives? I find it ridiculous that people spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on guns or other gear, but are too cheap to pay more than $10 for a knife. Thomas, put a good knife in their hands and yeah. watch the reaction. Because trying to explain it and them not holding it, yeah. they'll never get it. And if you put it in their hands and they don't get it, then you're wasting your time talking yeah. to them because they won't see the benefit. It's a visceral feeling. It is. Yeah. And so if you put a high-quality knife in somebody's hands, you will see them light up and be like, oh, this is not the right. Rough Rider from Ace Hardware that I've been carrying for all these right. years. So. Put a knife in their hands and uh, you know, to, to add to that, set them to a task. Yes. To give, give, them, give, them, give them three sticks and say make a figure four trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, do it with your cheap knife and now do it with this nice knife. Right. I mean, and, and uh, there, there's your most, you know, basic of basic. And tell them when their cheap knife breaks examples. that they can't borrow your nice one. They have to get their own. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Skin a deer. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, go through and, and perform, like Jim said, perform any uh, either singular or, or series of tasks. And you should be able to see a, a definite performance benefit. And if you don't, uh, the only time that I think this doesn't hold up is with Mora's. Oh, yeah. If Mora's, somebody Mora's is, would be the exception. If the someone rule, right? is more abound. It's yeah. hard to pry them off that $12 knife because they work so well. They do you work know, really so At that well, point, yeah. you're adding aesthetic and feel Absolutely. and stuff like yeah, that. The only so. thing you probably pull, pry them off of is if you could get other knives shaped like Mora's made out of quality, there you made, made yeah. out of more quality yeah. materials. Yeah. Not to say that Mora's are bad because they're not. They're really good for their price point. I think they're great you know, knives, yeah. You know, but it's just like, it's, it's, it's edge retention and strength at that point. I mean, so what you're, what you're upgrading to. Right. You know, but you're already used to something really quality. And Mora's so, in yeah. the higher end, they fetch some big bucks. I mean, Dude, they, right? like a hundred yeah. bucks, you know what yeah. I mean? Like for their thicker bushcraft blacks yeah. and stuff like that. So they're, they're in the, the very bottom of that tier in price point. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they're there. But you know? they do it really well. Yeah, they do. I mean, so, all right. So, yeah, it's a good, good way to start. Jimmy Jam Cutler, what traditional Sheffield knives have influenced your work? Well, this is actually kind of a strange question mm-hmm. because, well, I can tell you one right now. Fairbairn Sykes Commando Dagger. Yep. So, I mean, yep. that's probably the biggest totally. one out of William Rogers mm-hmm. uh, of Sheffield, England. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. It's not William Rogers. I just screwed this up. It is, uh, oh, I can totally see their logo. William Rogers makes them now original oh. Wilkinson sword Wilkinson okay. sword which yeah. is now gone and makes face razors and ladies leg razors and stuff like that but Wilkinson sword is the first company to produce the Fairbairn Sykes commando dagger mm-hmm. uh in the 40s and that would probably be the most influential but what makes this confusing is that I would love to say Wade and Butcher's influenced my design style but the mm-hmm. reality is that Sheffield was the way we see China today as far yeah. as them making knives for uh, like reproductions, replicas of a hot American-made selling knives right. or German or Spanish selling knives. So a lot of the Sheffield knives were actually knockoffs mm-hmm. and they were <laughs> sold that way. However, yeah. I would say, oh, I've got it, hands down. Okay. The most influential knife to come out of Sheffield, England, above the Fairbairn Sykes Commando Dagger yeah. is what we consider the Bowie knife. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That was a yep. construct to sell knives because the actual resin Bowie knife, the mm-hmm. knife that was made, uh, commissioned to be made by resin Bowie and ultimately handed to Jim Bowie, Bowie at the sandbar fight. <laughs> I still say Bowie. I know what's right. You guys should say it the right way. Don't we, do, we do, have cultural reasons. Do, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I would say the, the, the Bowie knife is the most influential knife to come out of Sheffield as it, the the resin the knife that resin had commissioned could not be sold it wasn't attractive enough or romantic enough mm-hmm. so the designers in sheffield actually kind of put everything together and made this construct they right. made up a right. knife like a composite yeah like exactly composite and they, cre- they created yeah. it and mm-hmm. that is what we know as the american bow is actually right. designed it, by it the would, brits yeah right instead <laughs> of actually being like like true to form it's more of a market result yes right Right, just like a, like a composite market result and interpretation of the feeling that you should have while owning it. And boy, did they nail it! Boy, did yeah, they! Yeah. <laughs> right, it's just cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there, there's a massive influence there, massive, massive facet. All right, next from Jerome Pagano. Hey guys, I hope all is well. Having witnessed the genesis and dominance of social media in instantaneous global communication, could you give your opinions on both the positive and negative changes you've witnessed as businessmen, craftsmen, and knifelanders? I, I, do you have one for this? I have one on the tip of my tongue for this. Do you? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say yours. positive, positive aspects by far in this. Yeah. Positive aspects by far is proliferation. Yes. You know, 100%. Course. I mean, uh, it's easier for us to reach you guys and it's easy to be an, uh, an approachable individual on the internet. Yes. You can directly ask Matt Martin a question. You can directly ask Jim Stewart a question. I mean, I mean, like I get PMs all day long. Yeah. And, and, and our reach is, is limitless, right? Yep, absolutely. And, I mean, you have to think as members of this trade of this craft, um, we used to be restricted to selling to our village. Yeah, absolutely. And then maybe trading outside of our village right. if we were sought after. And, and, if, and if we were really lucky, we'd get a table at a show. Right. And do like three or four shows around the state. You know, yeah. and hope to sell knives at those shows. It was pretty much it was pretty much the culture. That was it, yeah. And so, yeah, so village shows internet. Right. Like that's the progression of right. our brand proliferation and marketing. Right. And if you're really lucky, you got an article in a magazine yes. where where you could hope that they published your contact information as well. Right. Right. And no then kidding. maybe you get a phone call from somebody. The old days. You know, um, but the internet just makes it super easy. Facebook groups are free, starting a business page is free. I mean, I mean, so if you're looking to start a craft and proliferate on the internet or even just have like an Etsy shop and a Facebook group kind of all at once, um, social media can be a hugely positive aspect for you, especially if you're looking to go like away from your current day job and looking to support yourself just purely by your own craft. Um, the internet really makes a lot of options available to you. Infinite. It's just how you manipulate it. It's just like any other tool, Yeah, Yeah, but it's a very complex tool. Yeah. It's a very, it's extremely complex tool, but if you use it to your advantage, it can, it can, you can use it properly. Yep. And it will grow with you. You know what I mean? So that's fine. Mm -hmm. I would say the biggest drawback. Yeah. And this is the brutal truth folks. So go ahead and and turn up your radio and and you're not going to like to hear this, but this is the honest to God truth. And it's something that I've been trying to grapple with. As your customer base expands due to social media and because the real-time nature of updates Mm -hmm. and you develop personal relationships with these people, tragedy strikes inevitably. Mm -hmm. And it is – it's something that we haven't been exposed to before because our social circles have never been so large. Right. But when you see a terminal illness – 
a death in the family, the loss of a pet. I mean, any of these things that have a huge emotional impact. And sometimes, you, I mean, you really want to help these people. And I'm of the belief that if you have the ability, you have the responsibility. However, when your numbers get so great, it's very easy to turn into a charity exclusively yeah. because mm -hmm. you have so many people that you're now quote unquote related to yes. and you want to be able to help them. And out of that, mm -hmm. a certain percentage is going to experience some form of tragedy. And as your numbers grow, that percentage may remain the same, but the heads increase, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So you're bombarded as much as there is positivity. You actually on a day-to-day -day basis, you're bombarded with tragedy yep. and it becomes very difficult and it becomes this kind of burdensome guilt that you carry around that, God, I wish I could have helped this guy. I just helped these guys. And maybe there was a buddy who was getting ready to deploy and mm -hmm. you happen to have your own personal knife sitting on the shelf. I'm telling this because it just happened to me. And I had a knife sitting on a shelf and, I, and he was like, I really want one of your knives. I said, I'll give this to you. It was run out to him on the tarmac as he was taking off, the package landed and oh. one of his buddies picked it up at the post office and ran it out to a spooled oh. up bird so he could have it with him as he went overseas that's, on deployment. So, awesome. you know, that makes mm -hmm. you feel really good. And as soon as you do that, you hear some other tragedy that pops up. So-and-so had a death in the family. We're trying to raise funds. Yeah. And you're like, you know, I just gave my buddy the knife uh -huh. that I would have been able to donate to this. And right. I, and so you feel guilty. You can't help but that feeling. It's how you cope with it. But it's important to know, Jerome, that as you go into this, eyes wide open, as your base expands, you are going to have to be selective with who you help. And it's not judgmental. It's a lot of times it's timing. Yep. You may have just yeah. exhausted your inventory. It, it's, it's just a little bit first come, first serve. Right. It really point. is. Yeah. And, I mean, and it sounds cold, but... But it's something yeah. you carry around and, yep. and that sucks. And so I would say that is the biggest drawback that and, and drama, although we really kind of steer very clear of it. And if you look at our group, <laughs> which Jerome, I know you're a member of the syndicate, um, it's, it's very clean in there. So we don't have a lot of backbiting and S talking and all this other stuff. So, uh, but that is something that I have seen pop up in other groups. I'm just fortunate to have dodged that bullet completely. So, yep. well, you, yeah. you quash it pretty quick too. I mean, oh, I don't like, put I, up with it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Which, which, which is excellent. It's really good. All right. Thank you for the question, Jerome. Excellent, man. Hey, and uh, check out... Sorry. I'm away from my mic. Uh, check out... Oh, forgive me, Jerome. I know you tell me all the time, but I'm going to screw this up. It's Graywood Designs. Jerome is a very accomplished uh, Fletcher and arrow maker, and Ooh. I had the opportunity and pleasure to meet him face-to-face -face at Blade Show after dropping a few of his arrows downrange, and he does these beautiful just works of art in bamboo shaft arrows. That's awesome. And he even kind of gifted us these cute hand carved mushroom necklace things that we all have and wear and we love them. And, and so a very talented guy. I recommend you guys check him out. Uh, Jerome Pagano. Is that right? Yep. I knew him as Jerome Pag. Yep. So yeah, Jerome it. Pagano uh, and it's Graywood designs or Graywood crafts. I, I, you'll have to Google Google food that one to get it all, uh, you know, tracked down, but yeah, definitely check them out. Excellent. Very cool. All right. Next question. Um, Oh, and we're, we're, we're trucking through. We're, we're nearly, we're nearly out of time. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, so, uh, Ross Bickers, what makes you cringe when you look at a knife? All right. So I've got one. I've got Let's one. All right. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this. And I'm fully acknowledging that I'm in the minority. Saw teeth on a spine. I'm like, ah, 
I know, I know. I'm Rambo. I know, I know. John I, Rambo. Even, even then, I'm just even even then when I was a young kid, I was just like Sati. Even as a kid? Yeah, I'm like Sati. You're a freak. I know, right? Oh my god! I told you. Fully oh my god! Fully acknowledge that I'm in the oh. minority on that one. <laughs> what about like the hunted, the Becker WS or the Beck Dave Beck WSK? With the yeah. oh. <laughs> I told you. And I'm not saying it's the most practical thing in the world, but I'm saying there is that like yeah. <laughs> like it's got no, that. Which I totally get, right? Oh. I totally understand it. It's just I'm just like, eh. 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 I have so about many it. things that I hate about knives that I see out there. I, so any right. any knife that's five eights. Five eighths? Throw it in the bin. Oh, you mean on the spine? Have you seen that that big knife that they were putting out? It's five eighths on the spine. There are people that do that. Yeah. Uh, anything. I guess I just haven't seen it to cringe at it. I I have a hard <laughs> time with with knives that are too thick. I really yeah. have a hard time grappling with anything over quarter inch in a large knife. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, uh, I've seen three eighths and just been like, yeah, okay, dude did five eighths. I mean, the thing looked like I mean, it might as well have been an inch. Yeah, yeah it was ridiculous. It, that's massive. Oh my god. Um, yeah. I I don't like the cleaver craze. It's oh, totally yeah. wasted on me. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. the folding cleaver style yep. and all that. Like mm-hmm. that's totally wasted on me. Giant, uncomfortable, multicolor anodized titanium handles on folders. Giant folders. Giant folders. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think. I get on that train for sure. What makes me cringe, unfortunately, God help me, it aligns with what Jim said, is impractical embellishments on a knife that. I mean, serve absolutely no function and almost come from a place of compensation if you're reading between the lines. <laughs> so anytime that things are just way over the top, you're like, what are you trying to make up for, bud? Um, so I would say stuff like that, that I do not like. And th- But at the same time, I could look at a Buster Warensky mm-hmm. art dagger, a $50,000 art dagger, yeah. and just be like, oh my God, because you know what? Well, there's you no know, embellishments on that. It's just really well, 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 it's, some it's, of them, it's, well mean, it's well done. I think it'd be like jewel encrusted and stuff. And he does well, some pretty crazy stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But that's, but that's, there's a more practicality behind jewel encrusting something than it is, than it is a feature that you'll never use. Right. right? I mean, some of these knives look beautifying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. so, you, no, you're right. Cause right. some of them, they look like they spilled their coffee on their CNC and it just <laughs> went ham on the handles. <laughs> and it's just like, well, we need grooves here, grooves there. We need this. That, and I'm like, Hey, how does it feel in a human being's hand? You know what I mean? Like this is only for the lizard people that have landed. Oh my God. And so, so, and I'm, I'm just not a futuristic type person. So maybe I just don't get down on the futuristic aesthetic. And that is the joy of this industry is there is a, but for every seat, you like how I clean that up. Uh, But I am very much against, um, if you can't blind them with brilliance, baffle them with bull crap. And you like, I'm censoring this. And I feel like there's a lot of, baffling going on there's, out there so that, we'll put it that way so that's what makes me cringe all right um yeah your answer was way better than mine <laughs> because it makes me angry oh absolutely I, I, right, I mean, right, it's right. one of those things that's it's, always it's not look, just cringe but it's just like uh, like incensed boil yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah, right all right so and a little bit of a fun one from from andy trong oh good andy yeah. i haven't <laughs> talked to you in a while but i can't wait to see you in september what do you got for us all right uh where in the world is carmen san diego Boom! 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 Yeah, <laughs> we, we actually should have practiced it. It just broke out. Into oh, the, the whole acapella thing, right. and yeah. then lost all of our audience in one shot. Yeah. <laughs> we can do that other ways. Don't worry. Oh, There's okay. always time. Okay. Yeah. There's yeah. always more ways, Jim. <laughs> um, and uh, he kind of pokes fun at himself by saying, "Yes, I dated myself." Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, it's a good point. I guess yeah. now we're. 
Ooh, yeah. We, it, it, that 90s was didn't sound 90s. that. Yeah, yeah, 90s don't sound that long ago to me, but no. I guess now. Yeah. But no, you said that, and I'm, I'm instantly in my head. I'm like, we're in the world. It's called San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm my own backup singer on that one because I love the show so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim. <laughs> Matt. I believe sorry. that's a podcast. That is a podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. My name is Jim Stewart with... Matt Martin. I, I thought you were going to cover that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're here, and uh, we will see you guys in episode 31. Take it easy. guys so much this has been episode 30 that's our second anniversary of a 10th episode once again we will catch you guys in episode 31 you can check out more info for us on facebook facebook.com slash behind the blade podcast and our group facebook.com slash group slash btb trench crew facebook or not facebook our website is down temporarily but we'll be up shortly but that is www.behindthebladepodcast.com you can check us out on soundcloud itunes google play stitcher tune in iheart radio and wherever podcasts are aggregated we are everywhere are we on the tin can string network we are that's that's the special one that apple just started yeah <laughs> i think so uh, we will check you guys out next time thank you guys so much for joining us and we couldn't do this without you have a great night